Speaking to all of God's people, this is Mordecai Joseph, we are today in Lesson 95, and we are now in the book of Romans, chapter 13, where the Apostle Paul is explaining the Torah, the teachings that God gave Israel in Sinai, and then, as time went by, magnified through the prophets, and when he came in person, magnified it even so much more so, and so his disciples are doing the same. And basically, we are still speaking about the same teachings that were given to Israel, and his teaching these matters to the children of Israel in the spirit. In other words, the people that God called out of Israel, which are the majority still at this point, and that is the majority, and then some of them that were grafted from the nations and they to become Israelites, and so he's explaining to them and magnifying to them the law of Israel, the Torah of Israel, that is the Torah that God gave Israel in Mount Sinai. And so he's saying in verse 7, Render therefore to all their dues, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. In other words, God never taught Israel to rebel against government. This is not something new. If they had something against the government, and there was evil in the government, they are to cry to God and he will deliver them. But he did not commend them or teach them or, or give them an example of taking things into their own hands. And verse 8, owe no one except, that is, owe no one anything except to love one another. That's a debt we must pay. And for he who loves another has fulfilled the Torah. What is the Torah all about? Some people think because of ignorance, a lack of education, being unlearned in the teachings of the Torah, that the royal law, love your neighbor is yourself, is something that has to do with the New Testament. Well, in the Old Testament, just a letter of the law. No, actually, this teaching came long ago by Moses. And God gave it to him to give to his people Israel. So he told them in Leviticus 19, you can read it, Leviticus 19, verse 18, I believe, love your neighbor as yourself. And there, again, he was magnifying uh, his teachings so of the Ten Commandments, which were magnified in the two great ones, love toward the, the creator of Israel, the God of Israel, and love toward fellow men. And the two of them are linked. And so this is what he tells them. You owe nothing to anybody, or that is, owe no one anything except to love one another. That's a debt that God commanded us to pay, and many of us are not too interested in doing it. For he who loves another has fulfilled the Torah, and that's what the Torah is all about. It's not a harsh law. It's not a legal code of law. It includes some legalities there. But it's a way of life that teaches us to love our God and to love our fellow men, to live in harmony and unity, to be content people, to be fulfilled people, to be people who have a clean heart, not full of poison and hatred and malice and darkness toward anyone. And so when you love one another, and the only way you can do it is when you go to the Torah, which teaches you what is love and what is not. Some people think, I love my children, I will never spank them. Well, the Torah teaches just the opposite. He that spares the rod, that is a rod of correction. Sometimes it could be a stick, you know, when you do it properly, not with vengeance, with the attempt to destroy, just because you're angry, but in the proper way. 
So he that spares the rod, either the rod of your mouth or the rod, you know, the rod of your tongue that is chastening and correction in word or in deed, the proverb says very plainly, he that spares the rod hates his son. In other words, the Torah, be it in Genesis or in the Proverbs, on the prophets, or in the writings of the disciples, they teach us all these teachings, what is love and what is hatred. And so that's what he says. If when you love one another, and there are many things that we do to each other and they are not love. We think they are love, but they are not. They are destructive. So he who loves one another has fulfilled the Torah. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder. He just gives, some, he gives an example of some of them, and these are all from the Torah that God gave Israel in Sinai. And you shall not murder. He shall not steal, he shall not bear false witness, he shall not covet. And mind you, he's basically mentioning here laws that have to do between uh, man and his fellow man. And uh, not the laws toward God, but that includes the totality of it. And if there is any other commandment, so any single commandment, any single teaching, any single ordinance, statute, judgment, precept, testimony, whatever God gave Israel, so they can have a relationship a good relationship, harmonious relationship, a loving relationship with him, with their fellow men, with the creation. Any of those commandments, they're all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Moses made that statement in the book of Leviticus, you can read it, when he made it to the children of Israel. People think that God is love, but in the Old Testament he was not. He was a cruel God. A lot of people have that feeling. And those teachings uh, have been around for a long time. That God is a harsh monster, that His law is bad for us, and He's cruel. And look at all the wars and blood, and people pick up the book and begin to read about wars, and they say, I don't want to read it. And so they develop a negative attitude about it, because they don't read the whole story, and they don't know why. Whatever they read is there. And yet, when you read the totality of it, you realize that the purpose of the Torah is to teach you to love your neighbor as yourself and to love God as yourself and to have respect and honor for the creation. As God told Adam and Eve from the beginning, you dress it and you keep it. Don't destroy it, don't pollute it, don't defile it. And that's not love that man has toward his creation. That's destruction and hatred and, and wickedness oftentimes. And so that's what he's teaching Israel. The Israel of God. Because the law is the same, the teachings are the same, the theology is the same. Nothing has changed. It's the same church of God that God formed in Egypt before he brought them to Mount Sinai. Now this is a continuation of it. Only now, God is beginning with very few of them to write his laws in their hearts and he's beginning this covenant process, the new covenant. With the house of Israel, and the house of Judah, and the few grafted among the nations. That's the beginning of the process of this covenant that is ultimately going to be fulfilled in a much, much greater way at his coming. At the coming of the Savior, when God is going to redeem all of Israel and Judah, bring them back to their land, make a new covenant with them, write his laws in their hearts, and also some of the strangers that will be among them, and the ones that he has grafted from other nations. Uh, but they are the minority, few individuals in comparison. 
And so this is what he's teaching Israel. Love no, uh, it says verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the Torah. And if people have developed the wrong attitude because of ignorance, being unlearned, that the, the Torah, the law is done away with, then love is done away with. And if God is love, then God is done away with. You see the foolishness that is there? And that's what people believe. And so, God made it very plain to all of his prophets and disciples that his Israel is his only Israel, his only chosen family, his only wife, his only church. And the law that he gave them is the same law, basically, that he's going to write in their hearts when he comes to make a new covenant with them, when he brings them back out of captivity and redeems all of them. And they will be his people, he will be their God, that means they will be his wife, his church, and he will be their husband. And that's what a covenant is all about. It's a marriage covenant. He had never spoken about any other church, any other entity. This lie began to be taught 2,000 years ago, and people take it for granted that it's true. Unfortunately, many of those who should know better have been blinded by the teaching of Babylon and just took it for granted because they brought it out of their background without even paying attention to the scriptures. And so, Paul makes it very plain to all. Verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the Torah. The Torah that God gave Israel, that he's going to make again with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, which they in turn, when they are going to be married to their God, and that covenant is going to be in their heart, they are going to teach it to all mankind who will become their children. And that has been the process, and that has been determined from the beginning of time, there has never been any change in between regardless of all the lies that were taught about it 2,000 years ago, and they continue to this very day. Let's go now to uh, Romans chapter 15, where we continue the story, and we read in verse 7. Therefore receive one another, just as Christ received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision. Think about it. Jesus Christ, the God of Israel, who came in the flesh, he became a servant to the circumcision. Why? For the truth of God. What is the truth of God? To confirm the promises made to the fathers. So he came in the flesh, lived in the flesh among his people, became a servant to them. When they were sick, he healed them. When they were hungry, he fed them. When they were spiritually hungry, he fed them spiritual food. When they needed their sins to be atoned for, he died for them. He became their servant. To the circumcision, the people of Israel. Not in order to say after all that, well now I'm getting rid of you and I'm going to get me another entity of all the nations of the earth. It's all nonsense. And so he died for the circumcision. And also for all mankind because all of them are uncircumcised in the heart. As God said about his own people, all of you, all nations and are and all of you, my people Israel, are all uncircumcised in the heart. That's why he came and lived in the flesh in their midst. To atone for their sins so he can heal them and circumcise their heart. And give them the spirit and write his laws in, in their hearts. And, so, and then in turn they will go and be a light to all the nations of the earth. And that's how Christ becomes a light unto all the nations. Through Israel. And so he came to confirm the promises made to the fathers. He didn't come to annul them. 
and say, I'm dying and that's it. That's the end of the relationship between us. I'm free from this marriage and you've been rebellious all this time. So I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to marry another woman. Oh, no. On the contrary, he came to confirm those promises which were made to the fathers and to their descendants to make their descendants a people and a nation to himself and to give them all the promises. And through them, through the seed that comes from Abraham, both the ultimate one, that is Jesus Christ, and the physical one, to make them the light of the nations, a blessing to all the earth. So he came to confirm those promises. And you have to go back and read those promises as we went through in the, to begin with, the beginning of the series. And you'll see it very plainly how God never intended to ever forsake his own people. The ones that came out of the body of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Christ came here to make that possible. And the only way he could make it possible is by giving his life. Because God was not about to compromise with sin, which is the transgression of the law. And the unlearned thought that Christ came to atone for the sins and then he said, forget about the law. The very thing that caused his own death shows you how insane people are because the spirit of insanity is in them. And to this very day there are many people who have resentment against the Torah of God and don't even know where it came from. That's why Paul is saying very plainly to the church, to the people of Rome, some Jews, some non-Jews, you see, the carnal mind, the physical mind, you know, the rebellious mind, the mind that is of, of the devil. In other words, children of disobedience, because the spirit of disobedience is in them. You see, that carnal mind is enmity against God. It is the enemy of God. Enemy of righteousness and of holiness and of truth and of light. So the carnal mind is enmity, an enemy of God. It is not subject to the Torah of God, neither indeed can be until it is healed. That's the reason why Christ came on, on, on the scene to his own people to atone for their sins, to remove that uncircumcised heart from them, a stony heart, and to give them a heart of flesh, to put a new spirit in them and write his laws in their hearts so they would not be carnal anymore and would not be enemies of God and would not be rebellious against the Torah of God, but on the contrary, love the Torah of God that epitomizes love. Love is the fulfilling of the Torah. The two are one. And that's the mind of God. When you say God is love, you say God is the Torah. See, in other words, what the Torah describes is the mind and the nature of God. And to say that's done away with, or that's not applicable to us, we just live by grace and faith, that makes it very plain that you are a child of Babylon, not the child of God. Confused person. And so this is what he says. Christ came. He, he has become a servant to the circumcision. Verse 8. For the truth of God, you know. He became a servant to the children of Israel. To his wife. To his church. To his people. He died for his bride. He died for his wife. That's what it means. He became a servant to them. For the truth of God. You know. As we read er earlier in the book of John. That Moses gave the law. The Torah. And Christ brought the truth and grace. And this is what the truth and grace of God, that God was going to redeem his people, heal them, cleanse them, purge them, purify them, atone for them with the blood of his own son, which he offered as a sacrifice, so that they can become 
the children of God to live forever, be in his kingdom, be a part of his family. And so Christ came to that end, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, which were of an eternal consequence. And that the nations, you see, beside Israel, once Israel is, is uh, the people of God, the wife of God, and the covenant is made with them, then the nations can come along, that is the children. That, and that the nations might glorify the Gentiles God for his mercy, as it is written, for this reason I will confess you among the Gentiles of the nations and sing to your name. Once he had delivered Israel, then through Israel he can go to the nations. After all, who are the disciples but children of Israel? Once God called the disciples, you know, in the person of Jesus Christ, when he called the disciples and ordained them who were children of Israel, then he could send them to the nations. You see, with that Israel first, the nations can never be redeemed. Salvation can never come to them. That's the process God had chosen. And so from the beginning of time, 2,000 years ago, when he began to send his own disciples, children of Israel, to the nations, that was the process. And so he came to confirm the promises to the, made to the fathers and that also the nations might glorify God for his mercy when he began to call some of them, just few of them. And then ultimately, all of them, just like he would call ultimately all of Israel first being the firstborn. And for this reason, he says, I will confess you among the nations and sing to your name. And again, he says, Rejoice, O nations, O Gentiles, with his people. Not apart from his people, not instead of his people, but with his people. And who are his people? What is his church? Who and what is his church? Israel. And when Israel is saved, then the nations can rejoice with Israel. And instead of them, as the false doctrine began to be taught 2,000 years ago, and to this very day, many believe it. That's a doctrine of, 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 uh, of demons. It's not of God. It's of Satan. And so again, verse 11, And again, praise the Eternal, all you nations, all you Gentiles, Lord Him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, he, and he who shall rise to reign over the nations, over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles have hope. In other words, in him the Gentiles shall hope. And what is it going to happen? Uh, it didn't happen 2,000 years ago. That's only for the few of them. It's not what he's speaking about here, Isaiah. He's speaking about the ultimate. When the Savior shall return and rule over the house of Jacob, and then through them open the door to all, to all the nations, then they too shall have hope in him. As you read in Zechariah and many other places, in that day, ten, that is ten Gentiles, will hold on the skirt of him that is a Jew, and shall tell him, take us to your God, for you know that God is with you. He's talking about the process, and then all the nations of the earth, representatives will come to Jerusalem, where representatives of all the tribes of Israel will be located, and this is going to be their city, and they will be called the workers of the city, and that's their purpose to serve humanity who will come to learn of the ways of God. And that's what the statement is. For the Torah shall go out of Zion in the temple where God is going to dwell in the midst of the portion of the priests. That is north of Jerusalem of the city. It's not going to be in the same place. And then the Torah will go out of Zion and the word of the, of the Lord of the Eternal from Jerusalem. Why? Because that's what the children of Israel are going to be represented to teach all the nations of the earth as they come. 
And if you don't have a background, you don't understand what Paul is talking about. You got to read the whole story. Nobody picks up the book and reads only a few words here and there and thinks that he knows it all. Only a fool will do that. And yet that's exactly what people have done with the Bible. That's how they created so many religions out of it. And had so many doctrines and constantly split and re-split. God makes it very plain. And so Isaiah again says, There shall be a root out of Jesse, that is, the son of David. Jesse is the father of David. And uh, he became the son of David, Jesus Christ. But also, if he's the son of David, he's the son of Jesse too, who was his father. And he who shall rise to reign over the nations. You see, he shall. That's in the future. Not now. When he comes back, in him shall the nations hope. Today they don't hope in him. They think they do. Today they've got a false Christ. False teachings. False religion. False theology. Any lies that they've been taught. They have not been told the truth. They don't know who the, who the true church of God is. They think they are. They don't know the laws of Israel that God gave Israel. They don't know the laws that God is going to make again uh, through which He is going to make a covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah and write His laws in their hearts. They don't know those laws as they should. They've been told the law is done away with. They don't need to keep the Sabbath. They don't keep the holy days. They don't need to keep clean and unclean. They don't need to, uh, not, don't need to keep many of the statutes, judgments, precepts, testimonies, ordinances that God gave His people Israel. Because they've been told, well, we are a new church. We're a New Testament church. We're the true church. We don't need the law. We live under grace, you see. Two thousand years of uttered uh, lies and deceptions. They cannot hope in him through lies and deceptions. There is no hope in that. But when he comes and teaches Israel, converts Israel, brings back Israel to himself, and makes a marriage covenant with Israel and writes his laws in their hearts, the laws that he gave them in Sinai, only this time he's going to write it in their heart. In other words, by the Holy Spirit. It's going to be written there. You don't need to read a book now then. That point he says, They shall all know me from the greatest to the least. And the knowledge of the Lord shall fill the face of the whole earth. Like the waters cover the oceans. Then the nations will come and learn of the same thing. That's when the hope of the nations will begin to really manifest itself. Until now it was false hope. And the false doctrine of ending in the wrong place. They believe in the lie of going to heaven. There is no such a place for them to go. Heaven comes down to earth, not the other way around. The Father with heaven in Jerusalem is going to come down and dwell among men. And the words are very plain. Revelation, you can read it. And all the other scriptures that made it very plain. And yet they've been told lies, lies, lies. And based on that they have their hope, which is a false hope. So this statement here of Isaiah is speaking about the ultimate when God is going to open the eyes of all of Israel and then through them convert all the nations of the earth. Then they truly are going to have a real hope and a real kingdom, not a false one, not an ethereal one. And that was given to Israel to make plain and understandable to all the nations of the earth. And so God was going to, to uh, circumcise his people first, spiritual circumcision, He's going to confirm the promises to them. He's going to take them to himself as a people, give them eternal life, the Spirit of God, and that eternal life. Those were the promises. And then, through that process, give it to the rest of the children that will come out of this marriage. And the scriptures are very plain about it, for those who have eyes to see, but then most people don't. They think they do. 
Let's go now to First uh, Corinthians chapter seven. We finish with the book of Romans, where we continue the story. And in First Corinthians cha- chapter seven, Paul continues to give us more details about the who and what is the true church of God. In uh, chapter seven and verse seventeen, actually verse seventeen, but as God has di- distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, as the adorn that is, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Now, what is it that he ordained in all the churches? Was it any different law than uh, God gave Israel? Of course not. It's the same law. It's the same Torah. The same teachings. That's what they taught. That's what the apostles taught. They haven't taught anything else. They haven't taught that the law was done away with, the Torah is done away with. They were not fools like all those who came after them, who believed and taught those things. They knew what God taught Israel and what God gave Israel and what God is going to write in the heart of Israel when he brings them back to his kingdom. So they were not about to invent a new theology and call it Christianity. And so verse 18 he says, Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not be, let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. That is the keeping of the Torah. This is what matters. In other words, he tells them, look, and all of the Israelites, you must be circumcised. That's in the law. For all of Israel forever. But as for you Gentiles, God did not command you at this point to do it. No more than he commanded Abraham when he first called him, you see. But 25 years down the road, he did. But at this point, this is where the Gentiles were, like Abraham was in his first 25 years. But then he's making a point here that ultimately it's not circumcision of the flesh that makes any difference, but the keeping of the Torah. And it was what the Gentiles thought. Well, we don't need to be circumcised, fine. This is what Paul said, you don't need to. But then because we do not need to circumcise, they also said, because of ignorance and rebellion against the law of God, we don't need to keep the law either. I went from one extreme to the other. And Paul made it very, very plain. That's true, circumcision is not really the main thing. But the keeping of the commandments, you see. And once you've committed yourself to keep the law of God, as Abraham did, then when God told him later on, 25 years down the road, I want you also to circumcise your flesh, since he was in the habit of of obedience to God, it was not a problem for him to go and do it, even though he was 99 years old. And so it wouldn't be a problem for the Gentiles to do it if God commanded them to do it later on, just like he did with Abraham. And that's what he's saying. By itself, circumcision is nothing. And our circumcision is nothing if we do not keep the law. You see? Because circumcision was a seal of the covenant that God made with Abraham because he proved that he's obedient to God and would obey the laws of God no matter what. And not argue with him about it and claim the law is done away with. And the Gentiles never understood this matter, what Paul is talking about. Paul was a champion of the Torah. Not one that did away with it, and taught another religion, new theology. He was a champion of it, of the Torah. And that's what he said here. If you are circumcised and do not keep the law, your, your circumcision means nothing. And if you are uncircumcised and you do not keep the law, your uncircumcision means nothing. What really counts is, is obedience to God. Not only faith and grace. Then you understand not only who and what is the true church of God, but also what are the laws of that church of God that you must keep. The ones that are applicable, obviously, to all of us. 
in the absence of the temple and the rituals of it. But then when that is going to be erected and Israel will be in their land and the temple is there, and go back to the laws that God gave there in person to Ezekiel as he appeared to him and told him to write it for all the house of Israel. And he told him very plainly, all the house of Israel are going to keep his statutes and judgments and precepts and they are going to offer all those sacrifices that he ordained first in Sinai when he gave it to Moses, to all of Israel, and written in the last eight chapters of Ezekiel, it is described there in graphic details. Now the law is not done away with, it has a purpose. Until all human beings become exactly like Christ, the law will remain there. That's why Christ said, don't think that I came to do away with the, with the Torah of the prophets. It says, until heaven and earth shall pass away, not one jot or one tittle shall pass from the Torah. And he's not speaking about the Ten Commandments, he's speaking about the entirety of it. Some more ignorant things that he's speaking about the Ten. He's not speaking about the Ten. There's no one judge or one tittle about the Ten. They're all major ones. The entirety of it. That's why he told Malachi to, may, to uh, proclaim that message to all of Israel for the end time in specific. He said, remember the Torah of Moses my servant. You can read it in the last uh, two, three verses of the book of Malachi, chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. Remember, he said, the Torah of Moses, my servant, which I, I am the one that commanded it to them. That's the spiritual food that Paul was speaking about, that the children of Israel were eating. I commanded the Torah to Israel in Sinai. I gave it to Moses, and that is for all of Israel, and the statutes, and the judgments. You see, the entirety of it. And that's what he's saying here. That if you are circumcised, that's good. And if you are uncircumcised, being a Gentile and are called to the knowledge of God, that's good too. That's fine. But if you do not keep the law, it means nothing. That's what he's saying here. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God, of Elohim. See, that's not the commandments of Christ. These are the commandments of Elohim, who gave them to Christ, who gave them to his people Israel. Therefore, the religion is the religion of God, the religion of Elohim. That's why it's not called Christianity, and Christ never called his religion Christianity, never told his disciples to call the religion, the way of God, the teachings of Elohim by his name. And call it Christianity, or Christian principles, Christian doctrines, Christian values, Christian this and Christian that. And the Christian everything, the Christian churches, and the Christian uh, submarines, you know, the Christian then they call it, and so forth. See how foolish people are. Where Christ constantly directed his disciples to the Father, to Elohim. To him he gave all the honor and the glory and the credit. And he says, his commandments I came to obey. That's his religion. He is the ultimate. He is the head of all things. And people forgot that. And so they are so deep into the Babylonish religion and terminology that doesn't even dawn on them what they are saying. Of course Christ taught all those things. But he taught them because the Father gave it to him and he himself was in the same state of mind. So if you understand what it means really and where it really comes from and who is the ultimate head of the, of the whole uh, family, then it's okay if you call it principles of Christ because if Christ taught them, that's principles of Christ. But if you don't understand that, if you want to make it a point to distinguish between two religions which you invented in your own mind, there is a religion that he gave to Israel, that's fine, that he really did, and then another religion he gave to us which he didn't, it was the same religion, same theology. And then because of that, you use a different terminology to distinguish between the two religions. Then you're speaking like a Babylonian. 
And you're of Babylon. That's what the problem is. Babylon is not by itself to call it, you know, the teachings of Christ because he taught them. But it's when you make a distinction. And then ultimately you say, well, God put down the Israel and picked up the church. That means a new religion, a new entity, a new theology. You see, that's what the problem is. And many people are in that Babylon mode. And God tells them, come out, come out of Babylon. And so verse 20, Paul says, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. And he's not talking only about the circumcision, but the calling that in each one, each one of them was being called, whether, you know, whether it is a Jew or a non-Jew, was to serve God by obedience to his law and faith in him. Repentance toward God, that's what Paul taught always, repentance toward God and faith toward Christ. You see, what is repentance but trans- transgression of the law? When you stop transgressing the law, then you repent. That's what repentance means, when you obey God. And so the two always went together. And Christ constantly made it plain in his preaching, personally, when he was in the flesh. He did it before that, through all the prophets, beginning from Moses. He taught Abraham, he taught Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. And then he expounded it to the disciples, who in turn continued to do the same. Always teaching the laws that God gave mankind from the Garden of Eden, and then emphasized and magnified and codified in Sinai to his people Israel and he commanded them to walk in it forever. And it's because of that, because they disobeyed that Torah that he had to die for them and also likewise all mankind, they all disobeyed that Torah. But now God is going to write that very Torah in their heart and their minds and they will no longer be disobedient. Let's go now to chapter 10 where Paul is speaking uh, obviously here the Corinthians, which are basically mostly Gentiles, some of them were Jews, because wherever he went, he always went to the synagogue and the foundation was created that way, of that particular congregation, the foundation was always people who were learned, in other words, the people of Israel, and then on top of that, the layers that came after that would be Gentiles, they needed teachers, and the teachers were naturally the ones who knew the law to begin with, not ignoramuses. And so this is what he tells them, because he realizes the people, as I mentioned that several times, now we're going to read it, the people who were called outside of the community of Israel, the commonwealth of Israel, were ignorant of many things. Because they didn't have, in those days, people didn't have libraries, they didn't have books, they had no printing presses, you couldn't go to the store and buy a book there like today. So obviously they didn't know unless they went to the synagogue and learned all those things. And most of them did not know everything, they knew bits and pieces. And so that's what Paul is telling them. Moreover, brethren, chapter 10, verse 1, I do not want you to be unaware or ignorant. In other words, you are. But I don't want you to be ignorant that all our fathers, so he's speaking to the Gentiles in terms of the commonwealth of Israel, we and you, our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized. Uh, as I said, some people think it's a new doctrine. No, it's an ancient doctrine. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Very symbolically. And what is in the cloud? God was in the cloud. So who was doing the baptism? God was baptizing them through those experiences that he was leading them into. You know, the baptizing of fire, so to speak. The trials that they went through. And the Spirit of God uh, that was among them. Not in them, but among them. And in some of them, like Moses and the others. And the teachings that he gave them which were spiritual. You see, that's how they were baptized in the cloud and in the sea. 
the water. Because we all must be baptized in the water symbolically to put uh, the old man to death and come up as a new man, obedient to God, not disobedient. And so all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food. It was spiritual food that they ate, not letter of the law only as people think. Yes, it was a letter of the law, but it had spiritual content, content, you see. To them it was a letter of the law. When you don't have the spirit, you read the word and you just understand the letter of the law. But the letter of the law has the spirit of the law. And so when God tells them, love your neighbor as yourself, that's the spirit of the law. Not only, he didn't give them only the letter of the law, he gave them the spirit of the law also. But because they had no faith, they did not obey the spirit of the law. And because the spirit of God was not in them, they obviously did not obey the spirit of the law. But what he gave them was spiritual. It was not physical. Spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Well, how come that for 2,000 years, so-called the true church of God, that call themselves the true church of God, the mother church, the holy mother church and all that, never knew it? You go and talk to the average Catholic or Protestant, they never heard of it. They never knew that the God of the Old Testament was Christ. Why not? That's because, like the Corinthians, they were unlearned, ignorant people. They were never taught properly. You know, they were given bits and pieces, and that's all they knew. And so here are the first Christians, if you want to call them Christians, followers of Christ, children of Israel, his wife, his church, his people. They are, they were, they will always be the only one. That's the way God chose it to be. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Why? To be a light to the nations. What does it mean? Through the marriage that we have between you and me, we're going to bear children, the nations. God never deviated from that plan. And people do not know this plan, don't know what they're talking about when they teach about Christ. And that's what Christ has said. You know, look, many are coming in my name. They don't know everything. They think they do. They know bits and pieces. And because of that, many of them are sincere, yes. Devoted, religious, you know, good people. But because they don't know the whole story, they've been deceived. And they're going to deceive others. That's what he's talking about. He's not saying all of them are going to be evil and wicked people malicious people he said just many are coming in my name saying that I am the Christ teaching about me but because they don't know everything they're going to deceive many so he said beware of people like that you know beware of the sophomore so to speak teaching and that's what he told them and that was very plain and this teaching is here and anybody who read the New Testament should have known that 2,000 years ago and all this time there was no reason for them to believe those lies that the Father was the God of the Old Testament and Jesus Christ is the God of the New Testament. We've got our own God, you've got your own God. We've got two religions, we've got two theologies. You are the church, the church in the wilderness, you know, the people of Israel, we are now the church of God. There's no such a thing, it's all lies, deceptions. We must come out of these deceptions, out of Babylon. God has no place, you know, for the fool in his kingdom and the ignorant and the blind. And yet, even though they were the people of God, the church of God, the followed Christ, that had spiritual food and all those things, because they had no faith, God had to punish them constantly and cast them away now and then. As it says in verse 5, but with most of them, most of them, not all of them, most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. In other words, having no faith, 
obedience was just from uh, from uh, the mind, so to speak. You know, and, uh, well, okay, he told us to do that, so we do this. We keep the Sabbath, and we, uh, but even then they were not totally obedient. But having no faith, we, you know, they constantly had problems, like little children. Constantly had to tell them over and over and over again. No matter how many times you tell them, they still do it. That is, do their own thing. And so they were. They were not mature enough. And if we must be mature, we must go above that and not be that kind of people. And so he told them, because of that, they died in the wilderness. There is that generation. But the second generation, their children, they made it into the land. Because they had faith. They believed that God will deliver them. They had not only obedience, but also faith. That's what God required from the beginning of time. And verse 6, it says, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not last after evil things, as they also lasted. And who is us? The church of God. The people of Israel. Who are now responding. And not only obeying God, but also having faith. And having the Holy Spirit in us. And the ones that are being grafted among the nations. He's not speaking about two different entities. He's speaking about our fathers in contrast to us. Just like the fathers of all those who entered into the land. They did not have faith in God, so they died in the wilderness. But their children, they made it into the land. That's what Paul is speaking about. And some people think that he's talking about two different entities. He's not. That's only ignorance that causes people to think that way. They're not reading the story properly. Because they forget all the background. They don't have background as they should, even though some of them read it. And they don't put it together properly. When you read it in the context and you have the background, you know what he's talking about. He says, we, the Israel of God now, who are the people of God, and you Gentiles who have been grafted into the commonwealth of Israel, we shouldn't be that way. We should learn from the lessons of our fathers and not follow in their footsteps and their mistakes. So both we, children of Israel, and you nations, you know, or the few of you that have been grafted into us, among us, with these people, we should learn from those lessons and now repeat them. And so, that's what he says. Those were written for our own example, so that we may not follow them. And verse 7, And do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Why? Had they believed God, had they believed Moses, they wouldn't worry about the fact that he was there 40 days and 40 nights. They'll wait patiently. After all, they just heard God speaking to them and deliver them, performed all those miracles. And yet they had no faith, no matter what he did. People who have no faith always want signs. They always want miracles. They always want, show me. There is no faith there to believe. And people like that, you can never convince whatever. You can never teach anything. Because all the teachings wouldn't do them any good since they have no faith. You must, at a certain point, believe. So even when you don't understand, you still believe and follow and obey. That's how you, do, you quickly you know, differentiate between the converted and the unconverted. And so it says verse 8, No, let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. No, let us tempt Christ, as some, uh, that is, as some of them also tempted. Who did the tempt? They tempted Christ. And people think that Christ uh, came into existence 2,000 years ago. No, he's been there forever. He's eternal. He's a second being in the God family. He's the God of Israel. You know, he's the deity of Israel, the direct deity of Israel. He's not the most high, he's not the El Elyon. And he always, oftentimes, throughout the Bible, in Genesis, in other books, 
and the judges and the prophets made very plain that there are two of them. Two of them. And those who, those who had faith understood, and the ignorant did not. And the majority of Israel, unfortunately, were ignorant. That's why to this very day there are an awful lot of the children of Israel who don't believe it, be it in the house of Judah or the house of Israel. And so it says, don't, don't tempt Christ. As some of them also tempted, but he tempted Christ. And were destroyed by serpents. No complaint, as some of them also complained. And were destroyed by the destroyer. In other words, stop being disobedient to the faith, to the Torah. Because if you do, you're going to repeat their mistakes and end up what they did. And it says, now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. See, they are dead, so they can't learn anymore until God brings them back. It says, but we are alive. They are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So, thinking that, like all the apostles, that that was the end of time, Christ was coming in his, in his days, uh, you know, the days of the apostle Paul and all the others, he made this statement. But you have to understand, God did not choose to reveal to them how long it's going to be. He told them, it's not for you to know. He didn't want them to be discouraged with all the problems they're going to encounter for the next 2,000 years. You know, each one in his own generation. And so, believing that this is the time, this, that's why he made that statement. So you have to understand that, the reason for it. And therefore, verse 12, let him who thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. And many of us think that we stand, and we stand on lies. And we cannot stand on lies before God. We don't know who, uh, we don't know the identity of the, of the church of God as we should. We don't know much about the theology of God because we've been taught lies. The law of God is done away with. The Torah is done away with. We live by grace. We live by faith. We think we are the true church. We call ourselves, oh, we are the New Testament church. We don't realize the church is not married yet. The church is not born yet. And now we are only the sprinklings. But God is calling. A few here and a few there as the first fruit, as the pioneers. But the hour will come when God will bring back all the children of Israel to their land, make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And then, of course, the resurrection will occur of those who lived and died in Christ. And then the marriage will take place. And some will be spiritual, that is, spirit beings, and others will be physical, flesh and blood, but will receive the Holy Spirit. And the marriage will be with all of them. So this time we shall stop. This is Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.